What's going on, everyone? And welcome to First Pitch 305, the Marlins and baseball podcast on LemonCityLive.com. I'm your host, Alex Aguirre, and thanks for joining me for Season 2, Episode 1 of First Pitch 305. You can listen to this podcast wherever you catch them, whether it's Spotify or Apple, and you can listen and watch this podcast on LemonCityLive.com. Now, for this first episode of Season 2, I just wanted to go solo on this one because I wanted to give my honest opinion and breakdown of the Miami Marlins offseason up to this point. Now, today is January 27th, so we're just a couple weeks away from spring training. And if you've been you know, following the Marlins, they really haven't done much on the player personnel standpoint. In the front office, they've made you know a lot of moves. You know, We'll get to that in a bit, but primarily people are going to focus on is the players and you know any splashy moves. And believe it or not, the Miami Marlins are, I think, the only team or one of the few teams in Major League Baseball that has, that has not signed a player to a Major League contract. They've had some minor league acquisitions to invite to spring training, like Trey Mancini. I know they... Um, like a fan favorite for a little bit, Jonathan Davis. He signed a minor league contract as well with the Marlins. So small moves here and there, nothing crazy, nothing flashy. So that's going to upset a lot of fans, you know, especially coming off the season that they had. We're going to break that down as well, but let's get back now to the moves that they did make that garnered some type of headline, starting off with the departure of, of, you know, former general manager for the Marlins, Kim Ang. You know, Kim Kim was only here for a few seasons, but, you know, she did propel this team to a higher level, a level that many fans like myself have, hasn't, haven't seen in 20 years since their last real postseason appearance. Um, she wanted a larger role with this team for good reason. She's been a huge pioneer for women in sports, especially in baseball, and she wanted to continue growing and expanding her role and experience. And who can blame her? Who, you know, no matter what, you know, your role is, you want to keep growing. So, and I guess ownership did not see, they didn't see eye to eye in that regard. So they parted ways. And here comes, you know, from Tampa Bay, Peter Bendix, and he's now the new president of baseball operations for the Miami Marlins. And I talked about this a bit with, you know, um, staff writer for um, Fish on First, Daniel Rodriguez. We talked about it a bit. We broke it down on his podcast, um, Big Fish, Small Pod. And basically what I explained to Daniel and his listeners is there's it depends how you view this. You know, now with Peter coming in, he's bringing in that Tampa Bay identity. And that's, you know, you know, a small, a really small market team. And the Marlins are not that far off from, I guess, budget wise from Tampa Bay. So at least he knows how to, I guess, find the right players and put the right pieces together to put a competitive ball club day in and day out, especially, you know, the, during the, during the long 162 game season that the MLB schedule has the Rays haven't won at all. I get it. And they made it to the world series in 2020. But if you think about the division that they, they play in for the last probably 10 years, I would, I would give that franchise. They've been extremely, extremely competitive. You think about the Yankees, the Red Sox, now the Orioles are on the come up. You know, Toronto had a, a stretch as well within the last decade, and they have great young talent is back again, just like Baltimore. So it's a competitive division, and the Rays have held their own with a very, very, very small budget. But they've relied on, you know, finding the right pieces, the right maybe free agents for 
you know, a smaller value in terms of their contract. And, and then the big component, I guess, for the Rays is developing young talent and drafting accordingly to accommodate their franchise and the pieces that they need help in. So I like that move because I feel like, okay, if we're going to go this route, at, at least we're starting it, you know, the identity of this franchise or the game plan of this franchise is starting from the top with Peter and it's going to work his way down. And hopefully, and I assume that this will happen. You know, it's great to have that cohesiveness with cohesiveness with your manager and the front office in terms of a game plan, you know, and with Peter coming in, my assumption, and I guess my strong guess is that they're going to be, the Marlins going to be more of a stat heavy team. They're going to rely a little bit more on advanced analytics. And I'm sure Skip, like we've seen last year, just in his rookie year as a manager, he's coming off a National League Manager of the Year award. He has shown that he can bend and adapt. He can rely on the stats, go with the matchups need be, or let a pitcher get an extra batter or two, a reliever, get an extra inning, maybe send a hitter out there. Maybe he might not have the right matchup, but he's, he's on fire at the moment. So give him that at bat stuff. You know, we've seen him adapt and bend in his first year as a major league manager, major league baseball manager. So as long as they're on the same page, skip and Peter and the rest of the front office in terms of what the game plan is and what type of team are we, are we really going to put together and let's be realistic here with our budget and with, with our means, then I think things will be a lot smoother, you know, and the Miami Marlins, they're coming off, excuse me, they're coming off an 84 and 78 season, you know, and they're coming off their first postseason appearance since 2003. And I just feel like, you know, you know they, they played in the postseason in 2020, but I don't really count that, especially with the 60 games and everything. So the, I, realistically, I'm saying it's been 20 years, especially for the South Florida community. But the Miami Marlins, they're coming off an 84-78 appearance. They scratched and clawed their way into the postseason. And, you know, they really had to put the right pieces and matchups, matchups together towards the end of that season, especially with Sandy going out, and he will be out for 2024. And so, like, just that grit and that determination to get into the postseason, and obviously it wasn't, the postseason appearance that many Marlins fans would have liked to see just that, you know, all out team effort to get to that point. That was extremely admirable, admirable. And as a fan base, you would want, you know, the organization to build off that, to kind of ride that momentum. Obviously this, this franchise can't solve their problems and, or I guess build off their success. Like other franchises, franchises can by adding more pieces by going deeper and deeper into their pockets. So look at what Texas just did, but you know, with their run, you know, Marcus Simeon, uh, Corey Seager, like those guys are on massive, massive deals. And sometimes it works. We've seen it plenty of times. Like look what the Mets did this past season that they try to assemble a team together, uh, um, dump a boatload of money into all these players and it doesn't work out. You know, Marlins tried doing it in 2012, their first season as the Miami Marlins. They they kind of did something similar, getting Jose Reyes, Heath Bell, Carlos Zambrano. The season before, they had John Buck. You know, they signed him. You know, they were coming up. They are unloading a lot of money, especially for their standards, for the Marlins' standards. So it's never going to, like, guarantee anything in terms of just buying players and seeing, you know, putting it together and seeing if it works. 
Can it? Yes, but there's been plenty and plenty of examples that it doesn't. And then the Angels are another one. That one just came to mind right now, especially with dipping into their their pockets with you know with Otani. Now the Dodgers did even more, but you know they spent a lot for Otani, Trout, Anthony Rendon. Angels did it as well. Angels have done it with Albert Pujols, um, Josh Hamilton, C.J. Wilson. So it, it doesn't guarantee it doesn't guarantee anything. Is what I'm trying to say. So with Peter at the helm, and with Skip having a, a lot better feel of this team now after with a year under his belt, at least there is that type of I guess um, momentum with Skip there, and then Peter bringing that type of small ball, small market approach that I, I think hopefully, and I but I personally do think that it will benefit this team because they're never going to be a type of fan, uh, of lineup or team that's just going to you know, out thump you and just out, out hit you like the Braves can, or so, you know, the Yankees line, the Yankees can assemble a lineup like that. You know, look at the Phillies top to bottom. That's a dangerous lineup. So the Marlins have to find different ways to manufacture runs and get players on base, but also, but bring them in and, Getting to that, I guess, subject of like bringing runners in and that thump in the lineup, that brings me to, I guess, the next subject that I want to talk about, which is some bright spots. I guess there is there is some light in this, I guess, dreary offseason for the Marlins when it comes to acquiring or signing players or even making just moves in general. Um, they were they were able to um, convince Josh Bell to come back to opt into his contract, his final year of his contract with the Miami Marlins, which is great because he had an incredible uh, tenure with the Marlins last season after he got traded from the Cleveland Guardians. And Jake uh, Jake Berger, he was another trade acquisition from last year. He had he was on a tear as well, Bell and Berger. That was just a great combo to have at the trade deadline to propel them. They were a huge reason why they got into the postseason last year. And Berger was, was already under team control, which is great, so at least they have that security. But Bell coming back, that's huge because that leads me to talking about some player departures. And a big one from last from last season is Jorge Soler. He was their DH, and he was one of the premier power hitters in Major League Baseball. Over 30 home runs, can, especially in spacious Lone Depot Park, even with moving the walls in a little bit, still a fairly big ballpark. He was able to be that guy in the lineup. And I know Skip liked putting him in the two-hole a lot, so... That's fine. You know, he was that guy to be always there and he stayed healthy, which was huge because his first year with the Marlins, you know, he could never stay healthy. And then that just never got him in a good flow and, and rhythm. And obviously with the season he's coming off of, he was going to opt out and he was going to look for a bigger payday and who wouldn't. But what the surprising thing is, is that he hasn't, he hasn't been signed yet. So maybe the market isn't that deep for him, which who knows? Maybe he comes back to the Marlins and they kind of think about a new deal, maybe a two-year deal or something. So that can still be there. You know, um, spring training still, we're still a few weeks away from spring training. So the Marlins still have the possibility of making some signings. But other than Soler and a few other players that can demand maybe like 10 to 15 plus, like maybe 10 to $15 million, like in that range for a year, other than those few handful of players, the Marlins are going to be, for lack of a better term, looking through the scrap bin or the discount bin for all these players on one-year deals, um, you know, minor league contracts with invites to spring training like Trey Mancini, you know, like and maybe Trey Mancini is the security blanket 
in case they can get Solaire back, you know, they have a guy there that's not going to cost them anything. And the, you know, the keys, I think the Cubs are still paying him because from his two year, $14 million deal. So who knows what that can turn out to. It's, it's a, the Marlins have nothing to lose with that signing. And if he turns out to be healthy and perform well, performs well in spring training, he can be a, a decent bench piece because that's the thing as well. The Marlins lost a lot of valuable pieces off their bench, like Yuli Gurriel and Garrett Hampson. I think those two guys were so valuable for the Marlins off their bench with Garrett. You had a guy who was extremely fast and put a lot of thread on the base paths and can play pretty much everywhere except for catcher and pitcher. He can play all over the diamond. He was a good security blanket for center field when jazz went down and can also play shortstop a bit. He wasn't probably the best, defensively for the infielder you know you know primarily at shortstop but he has the experience to play everywhere and you need guys like that you know and then yuli just his veteran presence alone he's won it all he's won personal awards the highest team awards you can get in with and, you know with the with the houston astros and winning the world series with them and he's just a professional hitter he's and you know he had some ups and downs with the marlins but for the most part he had a lot of big big moments you know, to help this team get into the playoffs, it was a team team effort to get to to the postseason. It because, like I said before, they don't have a, like a lineup that's gonna scare, that's gonna be very intimidating. So, I guess with the little moves that they have made, I guess the front office and the new pieces, I guess in the front office, like Gabe Kapler, he's on board now as the assistant GM. Um, I guess they're thinking more of, I guess, having more faith in what they have right now and continue to develop this younger talent. Now, the young talent that I'm referring to, it relies or lies more in the pitching department. I mentioned earlier that, and from fans who I guess don't know or who don't follow the Marlins or baseball for that matter, um, Sandy Alc uh, Alcantara, their ace, um, their workhorse, their um, the, the, um excuse me, the 2022 Cy Young Award winner for the National League, he is out for 2024. He had a very shaky up and down 2023. You know, I've heard all types of things with other media members that the new uh, shifting rules, you know, the new defensive alignment rules kind of, you know, hurt him a little bit because he is a sinker ball, pit, a sinker ball pitcher. And, you know, he relies a lot on like contact, but like, you know, ground balls and the shift, the, the, the shifting rule maybe played into that possibly but it you know it, it was no surprise or it's not it wasn't obvious that sandy did have his struggles sandy definitely was not like his Cy Young self the season before and then he went down you know with tommy john surgery and he's gonna be out all of 2024 and the most i guess concerning part you know as a fan is you're coming off a postseason appearance. You lost your ACE and you haven't done anything about it while the season before now, granted this was Kim at the, at the helm, you know, probably making these calls and moves, but still though, like you put in like what, 16 and a half million dollars to signing Johnny Cueto. And you can't find a, just a starting pitcher, a number five, a guy just to get out, go out there and eat you innings, you know, for a third of that, like that's the part that's like, okay, what are we trying to do here? Like that's, these are all the questions that these, the fans are, are, are raising. It's what is the goal of this franchise then? Like, uh, like this, are we going to regress or we, or are we going to like just strip from the, from the, you know, everything from the top down and start from scratch and 
literally try to replenish the farm system as much as possible. Maybe because like I said earlier in the podcast, that's, you know, kind of the formula for the race success was building a core with young pieces and pieces that they drafted and developed in the minors. And once they're ready, they have a core set and then they sprinkle in these veterans that they can get on, you know, friendlier contracts or cheaper contracts, but hopefully in relying on, they can kind of, you know, rebound their career, kind of, you know, revive their career while they're playing in, in a Tampa Bay, in a, in a Tampa Bay Rays uniform. And I guess maybe that formula is going to be brought down here to Miami. So we'll see when the season starts and if they have any more moves left, you know, if they want to make any more moves until we get to spring training. But as of now, there really hasn't been, other than Josh Bell, you know, be, being bought, opting back in. Peter Bendix has, has, he has made some moves. It's no surprise that they're with the Rays. You know, the Marlins acquired Christian Betancourt, a catcher from the Rays. So he's going to be um, platooning the catching role, the catching position with Nick Fortes. Jacob Stallings is out. Um, so Christian Betancourt, Nick Fortes, that's going to be the platoon uh, behind the plate. And then they also got ut- a utility player, Vidal Brujan. And he plays infield and outfield. And that's great and all, but still they, they still haven't addressed a glaring issue, which is shortstop. Last year, they went with Joey Wendell and John Birdie and that type, and Garrett Hampson, you know, that type of platoon. This year, you know, Wendell's gone. He's he, I believe he signed with the Mets. Hampson is gone. I think he's with Kansas City. And now we're left with John Birdie. And I love John Birdie. He's, he's become a fan favorite and one of the longer tenured Marlins on this roster. But still, though, um, in my opinion, and people can correct me if they and you know disagree with me here, but he's not an everyday shortstop. He's a great utility player, a guy to come off your bench and have some spot starts to you know here and there. But to be an everyday shortstop, I don't think that is the right direction for this team. I you know if you if you want to play birdie every day, maybe at different positions to give a guy a break here and there, that can be something. But for you know, having him play shortstop at, you know, every he's the top of the depth chart right now at the position. You know, they do have Xavier Edwards, um, uh, Jacob Amaya as well. You know, so I guess that is your core of possible shortstops for this team. But still, though, that is a tall task for those three guys to, you know, man that position. And also you need to produce offensively. Because, like I said before, the Marlins don't have a very, very dangerous lineup. Once you get past Berger and Bell and Chisholm, you lost Soler. And, you know, Aviseo Garcia, is Avi going to produce anything? You know, he he's he's on, the, like, the final countdown, like his last legs in terms of, I guess, how much patience this franchise, franchise is going to have with him. He's still owed $29 million, you know, from his contract. So we'll see, you know, I'm sure, you know, if he's healthy, he's going to get as many reps possible in spring training to prove to this team that he still has something to offer. And as I mentioned on Daniel's podcast with fish on first, um, he's kind of like my rebound candidate for this team. I'm rooting for him because players like that, I get it. He's only been like a one-time all-star, I believe, but you don't last a decade plus in any pro sport. If you, if you're like, you know, if you're a bad player and, He's a lot, but prior to getting to the Marlins, he I think he already had almost a decade of experience in this league. That doesn't, you know, 
that counts for something. And I and I I do give credit to that. So he is to, and if he and I like I said with Daniel, if he stays healthy, he can provide 15 to 20, 22, early like low 20s. He can provide that for this team. He does have the power, and he has shown that in the past as well with his with his numbers. He can give you 15 home runs if he stays healthy. And the Marlins do need that do need that depth in the outfield. Because right now in the corners, they just have Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz. And that's pretty much it in terms of maybe Peyton Burdick. He's still in the Marlins farm system. You know, so that's Vidal Brujan can play the outfield as well. But those guys are not going to probably give you double digit home runs. Probably not. You know, when in terms of, I guess, Peyton, because I don't he hasn't really shown that he can play every day. And then Vidal Brujan, no, like I don't, that's very, very, very unlikely. They can give you double digit home runs. So Avi can be very dependent on. And other than that, though, Avi, Jazz, Bell, Berger, that's, I guess, your quote unquote muscle of the lineup to comp- for this division, especially with the Phillies. You know, the Mets, they still have some pieces there that can be, that can be a pretty competitive team. And, you know, the Braves, of course, they're the cream of the crop for the for the National League and they're in the Marlins division. So it's just a lot of questions still need to be answered. But there are some positives still. I forgot to mention as well, you know, Tanner Scott, he finally carved out his role as a closer. And it takes time, especially with hard throwing lefties. They've had the reputation of being a bit inconsistent early in their career with, you know, throwing strikes. And prior to Skip coming to the Marlins, when Don Mattingly was here, he did experiment with Tanner as the closer. They did, and the front office, Kim including, they all saw the potential that Tanner Scott had as a closer. Just take some time, you know, and I'm glad that he finally was able to kind of put everything together, and it finally showed in the month of September when he won reliever of the year um, this past season. So, that's something to look forward to this year. And as I mentioned, Christian Betancourt, the catcher they acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays, he can definitely help in the running game for the Marlins because the combination of Nick Fortes and Jacob Stallings, that was, a, I guess, defensively not the greatest combo in terms of keeping runners honest and keeping runners close and trying just throwing out runners in general. So um, that's something to look forward to as well. But other than that, there really hasn't been a lot of moves, guys. There really hasn't been anything to be like, wow, this is really going to help the roster. They, they, you know, their starting rotations right now is going to consist of Jesus Lazardo, Braxton Garrett, um, Yuri Perez, but he's still 20 years old. He's definitely going to be on an innings limit. Edward Cabrera, and there's, you know, Sandy's out. Sixos nowhere. Gonna, he's, he's definitely not definitely not going to appear this season. Max Myers recovering from Tommy John surgery. You know, so they don't really have a starting five, like like they don't really have a five-man rotation at the moment. And that is concerning. So they're going to, what, dip in more into their minors and try to rely more on that. And I guess, uh, you know, I'll conclude with this or kind of round it off with this. But, you know, hearing these trade rumors with Jesus Lozardo and Braxton Garrett, there's two sides of it. And and this is how, how I feel about it. One side of this is, okay, like I mentioned earlier with Peter Bendix and that raise approach. If you're going to trade these guys, they're going to obviously look for prospects and then they're going to try to replenish the farm system. 
okay, well, then you better be sure or damn sure, I guess, that these prospects you're getting in return are going to actually, you know, develop. And and it's hard. It's a big ask. And it's it, you, so hard to predict. But hopefully, based off the experience that he's bringing from Tampa Bay, they can mold some players and, and be at least respectable, average Major League Baseball players. Because the, the Marlins have struck out plenty of times getting prospects and unloading big names like Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna. They struck out on all the prospects they've gotten, except for Sandy, pretty much. So that can't happen, or else you're just going to delay this, I guess, rebuild or retool, I guess, for another three like three to five more years. So that's one thing. If you're going to trade them, then you, hopefully you replenish the farm system. But if you don't, okay, then, then you're going into this season with Jesus as your ace, which he can be. He has shown the potential to, the, and, and the promise that he can be an ace. Then Braxton as your number two. But then, you know, Edward, he's coming off a season that he's pitched the most innings in his career, in his young career. But now you're asking more from him. And then from the, after that is, what, Yuri Perez, uh, uh, your fourth pitcher, wherever you want to rank him, whatever. He's going to be on an innings limit. You haven't spent any money. You haven't signed anybody to fill out this rotation. And we're weeks away from spring training. So that's the concerning part about this team is that, you know, what are we going to do? So if they trade Lasardo and Braxton, fine. Then we have, okay, then at least fans know they're not going for it. They're they're going for another, I guess, rebuild. And I, and if you really follow the Marlins, I think they kind of need it. I'm not saying they should, but if you want to bring in that Tampa Bay approach, they definitely need to do it. Then maybe trade Jesus and Braxton because the Marlins farm system is in, is in, in good shape right now. It's not a, a pretty sight. Um, they don't have that much promise, especially trading Jake Eater to the Chicago White Sox to acquire Jake Berger. So that's another, you know, piece of the farm system already, already, you know, it's gone and it's already been, and it's a thin farm system. So th there are two sides of that coin when terms of either keeping Lasardo and Braxton Garrett or trading them. They're just rumors at the moment, but as of now, that those that is the number one and two, your numbers, your numbers one and two starters for the Miami Marlins going into this season, and we don't know who else is gonna like I guess compete for this starting rotation. I know they like another minor league acquisition. They brought back Devin Smelser, who is another lefty pitcher that can eat up in innings. Oh, and I just forgot, yeah, about Trevor Rogers. He when's the last time we saw Trevor Rogers actually be competitive on the mound? So we're going to rely on that is that Marlins are going to rely on, you know, Trevor Rogers, Max Meyer coming off Tommy John, Edward Cabrera, you know, being sent down up and down from the minors these last few years. Um, Yuri Perez on an innings limit. Braxton Garrett, is he really a number two? And Jesus Lozardo, is he ready to be an ace? Not trying to criticize all these guys, but I'm just trying to point out that from all those names, all those starting pitchers I mentioned, there's a question mark going into the season based off the role that they're being asked to play or to, or to do. And let's see if they're ready for it. And hopefully they answer the bell, you know, no pun intended with Josh Bell, but hopefully they can, you know, continue this momentum. They're, you know, Daniel asked me from Fish on First if Mons can be an 81-win team, which is 500. And looking at this roster right now, 
I don't see that happening. I really don't. Everything, everything needs to go their way in terms of being health and everyone playing to just expectations. But that means that everyone, a lot of these players that I've mentioned need to play above and beyond these expectations. It's a lot to ask for, especially a lot of players. If it's one or two guys, okay, maybe that can move the needle. Fine, that, that sounds more doable. But there's a lot of players that need to play way above their expectation in order to for me for me to believe that this this team can replicate their performance last year and bear in mind as well that this team i believe won 84 games last year yeah 84 games and that's be and that's coming out of the all-star break like on like on an eight game losing streak it was horrific if they didn't have that slump and another slump i believe later in the season you're talking about possibly a 90 win season and that's the amount of wins that they uh, they um, ninety or ninety two. That's that was the kind of mark that they had when they made it to the postseason in ninety seven and 03 and won it all. I'm not saying just because they got ninety wins last year they they were going to win it all, but ninety wins it, w- it would have been a huge, huge benchmark to to reach and accomplish. And you know that's because they went on a minor slip last year. Now you you can't afford. With the roster the way it is, this is what I'm trying to get at. The way the roster is now, you can't afford an eight-game losing streak, especially coming out of the the All-Star break. You can't. You got to play nearly perfect baseball, and that's a lot to ask for, especially now for a really, really, really young team. So that's going to, I guess, do it here for me. You know, Alex Aguirre with first pitch 305. Um, I'm going to try to bring this back as much as possible. I know we had a bit of a hiatus in 2023, with the podcast, but I'm glad to be back and I'm glad to be back reporting, you know, the Miami for the, my for lemon city live covering the Miami Marlins. So I'm looking forward to that. And don't forget guys, especially if you're watching the podcast, go get your shirts, your first pitch three Oh five shirts. They're beautiful. I got to give a major shout out to Edwin Garcia. He's the one who created the logo for the logo for this shirt and for the, uh, for, and for the show. And you go get your Lemon City Live merch as well from LemonCityLive.com and support your other local shows. And moving forward um, with this show, moving forward with this show, I'm going to have obviously guests and some of them you might remember like Kevin Barral from um, Fish on First. And he also does amazing work for Lemon City Live with the Pause Up podcast and his coverage of FIU Athletics. And as, and as we're going to have other media members that cover the Miami Marlins on the podcast as well. And, you know, that's going to do it here for me with episode one, season two of First Pitch 305. Remember, you can catch this episode wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify. And you can watch and listen to this podcast as well on LemonCityLive.com. I'm Alex Aguirre. Let's go fish.